Today I'm reading from Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6, from large print NIV. (laughs) And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his spirit, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him? For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And now we go to Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore, Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access to what, by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Thanks, Ruth. We admire people who are able to push through barriers. You're wondering if we were under construction this morning, weren't you? Barriers. We admire people who are able to push through uh, physical barriers. You know, we all, I mean, we might sit back and go, I could never do that. But we, we admire people who are scale the mountains, right? Scale the big peaks. We admire those who, we well, think they're nuts, but they, we admire those who actually ski to the North Pole. We maybe even admire that dude on the TED Talk who held his breath for 17 minutes. Though we all agree he was crazy. You should watch it sometime, by the way. Okay. We admire those kinds of people who are able to push through physical barriers. We admire people who push through uh, racial barriers, like Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat in the bus, right? We admire that. Maybe those of you who are sports fans uh, can appreciate the gender barrier that was broken last, last week by the, by the Spurs, hiring their first full-time assistant coach who is a woman, Becky Hammond. Maybe we admire that. Barriers. 
barriers that exist on us. But, you know, uh, there's some barriers that people push through. They're, they're less uh, obvious, maybe. They're, they're, they're more subtle. They're hidden. But we admire those who push through barriers that are personal barriers, like private barriers. Like maybe the kid who battles with acne but still tries out for the drama class, still tries out for the high school drama, right? Or, or maybe the postpartum mom who's wrestling with depression but somehow, somehow wrestles through it and still continues to connect with friends. Maybe the 30-year-old man who's illiterate and his illiteracy has something he's hidden, something he's made up for, something he's trying to gotten around. He finally embraces the shame of it and begins to learn how to read. Maybe the seven-year-old widow who overcomes loneliness daily by connecting in her church or connecting maybe at the Gleaners. We admire people who break through barriers, who overcome obstacles, who, who find a way through. There are barriers all around us, barriers that keep us back. Today we're talking about barriers. Specifically, I want to ask about barriers that exist between us and our relationship with Jesus. And that's a broad category, relationship with Jesus. Today I'm thinking about barriers that keep us from having maybe a simple conversation with God. Some of us struggle with that. I know, because you sit here and you think, everyone else around me has this wonderful prayer life where they just have this intimate conversation with God all the time, except me. That's, I know, some of you think that. But actually, a lot of us struggle with that. A simple conversation with God. What kind of barriers prevent you from that? What kind of barriers stop you from praying to Jesus for your marriage? Maybe some of us don't want to pray for our marriage because we're scared of what we might hear God say to us about our marriage. What kind of barriers exist that stop us from asking for direction from Jesus about our finances? Or maybe just what's hindering us from asking Jesus to heal our body? Or preventing us from just asking Jesus to meet us right where we're at? What kind of barriers exist that prevent us or make it awkward for us to just simply pray, to one, pray with one another? To get together and pray? What kind of barriers are there that exist there? When it comes right down to it, these barriers exist, sort of. We have to ask the question, are they real barriers? Like, are they actually there? Are they physical structures that, that get in our way and stop us? Or are they tricky mirages that are designed to deceive and hold us out, keep us out from experiencing the real grace, the real truth, the real freedom that Jesus has for us? Barriers exist all around us. Barriers exist inside of us. And in today's gospel story, we are going to see an extraordinary, courageous woman break through a whole variety of barriers so that she can get to Jesus and receive what only Jesus has for her. Are you ready to push through some barriers today? We're going to read in Mark chapter 7. If you have a Bible or if there's, there's a Bible in front of you, you can look Mark chapter 7. But in your bulletins today, we also printed the, the story uh, on that little slip of paper. So every one of you can pull it out. If you're looking it up in your Bible, it's the second book in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. We're back into it now. And so uh, this is the story we're looking at today. We're, we're going to read it along, walk through this story, and try to discover uh, what Jesus is saying to us about barriers. 
what Mark is saying to us about barriers is we watch this woman break through a whole bunch. So Jesus left that place. We, last week, we were, Jesus had this confrontation with the religious leadership around what defiles you. And we were really challenged about how Jesus is saying, you know, you can point at a lot of different things, but when it comes right down to it, what's going to mess up your life and what's messing up the world comes solely, well, not solely, okay, there's the evil one, but mainly for the human heart that we have within us enough that's going to mess us up. We need Jesus in our lives to begin healing and changing us. That's what Jesus is doing. And it was quite a conflict. And he said some very powerful things. So he left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. It's in modern-day Lebanon. It's outside of Israel. It's up to the north. So he leaves Israel. He leaves home territory. He enters a house and he did not want anyone to know it. Yet, he could not keep his presence Secret. This is kind of getting familiar. We've seen this so far in Mark, where Jesus is just constantly swamped by people. Even though he tells them, please don't tell anybody he just healed you. Please don't tell anybody I just healed you. Please don't, you know, don't even go into back into the town. Just, just walk home another way. You know, he's trying to get people. Because what happens is he's being swamped by all these people with these incredible needs. And he's got, we'll get to it, he's got some important things to do that aren't just involved with healing people. So he hides away with his disciples. He enters the house. He doesn't want anyone to know he's there, but he can't keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria, Phoenicia. Syrian Phoenicia. She begged, or maybe more accurately say she kept begging Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Are you able to see this woman here? Are you able to get the picture of the desperation that this woman has? She's willing to do whatever it takes to help her daughter. You know, one writer said, on the spectrum of, 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 of coward to bold, you know, boldness, there, there, way over here on the left you have cowards, right? And then probably here in the middle you have normal people, you and I. And then, and then there's the heroes that we all admire. And then there's parents, way over here, Right? The quiet dad who turns into a raging bull if you touch his kid, or the timid mom who you do not want to mess with if you've been messing with her kids. Right? Parents willing to do whatever it takes for their kids. And here's this woman pushing through a variety of barriers to get to Jesus because she believes it's only Jesus that can help her daughter. Let's, let's unpack some of these barriers that she pushes through. The first one she pushes through is actually the privacy barrier. Jesus is there. Why? Because he wants to be alone. He's there hiding away from his own people. He doesn't want anybody to know. He doesn't want... The do not disturb signs on the door, you understand. The door is shut. And, and yet, <laughs> she doesn't care. She just knocks on that door and knocks on that door and finally just opens that door. How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you, that would have just stopped you right there? Right? You would have just went, oh, I guess Jesus is busy. I'll go away. I'll come back later. Or maybe you just hover around at the end of the driveway and wait for Jesus to leave. How many of you, that would have just stopped you cold? Because you've got a really high value around privacy or at least around your own privacy. And so by extension, around the privacy of Jesus, clearly this man's busy. I I won't disturb him. I think for some of us, that would have just stopped us right there. But she just plows through that barrier. The next barrier she comes to is, of course, the racial barrier. This is a Jewish rabbi. This is a Jewish healer with a group of Jewish disciples. 
And she obviously is not. She's Gentile. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, I think there's a few others that may have been Gentile, but this is the first explicit person in the uh, Gospel of Mark that has come to Jesus and received healing, as we will see at the end of the story, who is not Jewish. She is Gentile. These two groups, Jew and Gentile, did not mix. They didn't even really mix socially. And yet, she doesn't let that phase her. She just plows right in. Another barrier overcome. More than racial, though, she conquers the gender barrier. She's a woman. Jesus is a man. In that society, women did not even talk to men publicly who were not members of their own family. There was huge social taboos around contact with men. That was true in all of the different societies, Jewish, Greek, Roman. This was something inappropriate. And yet she goes into a house full of men and she doesn't seem to care. She risks her reputation because she knows that in that house is the only man that can make a difference for her daughter. So she plows through. Another barrier is a little more subtle, but it's the economic barrier that could be there at least. Her ethnicity is mentioned, and there's some suggestion that she may have been from a more elite, like, like high-up class, a ruling class perhaps, wealthy, done-up, proud, you know, someone who's kind of used to getting their way. They've got money, they've got position. But somehow she gets in there and she doesn't claim that. She comes in humility, and she just begs Jesus to heal her daughter. Well, that's four different barriers she's broken through. But there's, an, and there's another one, one that we might not see, but there's an issue of impurity here. There's a barrier of impurity. Last week was all about the purity culture and how Jesus redefined what it means to be pure, redefined uh, how people get defiled, as it were. And he said, you know, it's not through this. We, we don't, can't fix ourselves through some external ritual. We need Jesus to work in our very hearts. And, and he says, you know, it's not the food you're eating that's going to make you unclean. It's what's coming out of your life, coming out of your heart that's wrecking your relationships. And so Jesus begins to dismantle, powerfully dismantle this, uh, this type of purity culture and how they understand it. But they're still in a culture like that. And this is a woman who's coming to Jesus who who sort of by Jewish definition is unclean. But on top of that, she's been living with a daughter who has an unclean spirit. And that could have stopped her. In other Gospels, the disciples weren't too thrilled. And yet, she knows this Jesus can make a difference. That's a lot of barriers standing in the way. That's a lot of things to prevent this woman from coming to Jesus. And yet, she just pushes through everyone out of love for her daughter out of a faith that really only Jesus can make the difference in her life and in her daughter's life. But then she slams up against one more barrier. And this barrier is the most significant of them all, I think. And it's a barrier that surprisingly Jesus himself throws up. It's the barrier of priority. The barrier of priority. Jesus sees this woman sees her need. It's pretty obvious. She has shoved every social convention aside, every barrier aside to get to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says to her, puts her off really with these words. First, let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're kind of new to the whole Bible thing and you're feeling kind of offended, you're in good company. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. This is one of the stories that people have tripped over for years. You read the story and you go, what? Jesus, are you kidding me? 
Are you joking me? Do you see this woman? And you say that to her? How insensitive. You know, what are you doing? I mean, would anyone else here have been offended by that comment? Might have been a little bit put off? Well, what's Jesus saying here? And what's, what's going on? In order to understand that, we have to take a bit of a larger view of things. We have to expand a bit on what Jesus is up to. Jesus had come from His Father to His own people, the Jews. And He had come to reveal to them that their true Deliverer had arrived. That Israel's King was on the throne again. That God was bringing about the new exodus that the prophets had promised in Jesus. And He was demonstrating everywhere He went with um, what the kingdom of God was looking like and what he meant when he said the kingdom of God is present, he was demonstrating that in the way that he healed people, in the way that he cast out demons, in, in the way that he was forgiving sins, in the way that he was including outcasts. He was showing people that's what this kingdom looks like. That's what this new exodus looks like. And it's all being turned upside down. It's all changing. God is back. God is putting things to the right. To right. The Messiah is back on the throne. And Everywhere he went, though, as he was doing this, he was meeting increasing resistance, right? He was meeting resistance, obviously, from the religious leadership, but he was also meeting resistance from his own close associates, people from his hometown, uh, his own family. His own disciples didn't seem to get get what was going on. And and so he's swamped by by needy people, and yet nobody seems to really understand what he's doing. Jesus has come to be Israel's true king and he realizes that unless they get what he's doing, unless they understand who he is, all could be lost. The stakes are really, really high. And he's keen as he's walking along and people are coming and he's healing and he's teaching. He's very keen that his, his inner core, his disciples, and at times I think a bit of a larger group, he's very keen that they really understand what he's up to. And that's hard because these disciples seem pretty dull. Pretty, uh, you know, real lack of perspective and understanding and perception here. And so he's very keen that they get up to speed on this kingdom, and, and so he hides himself away. What about these other peoples? What about the other races? What about the Gentiles? Well, they are to be included in the kingdom of God, thankfully. But first, Jesus starts with his own people. Israel was called to be a light to the nations, and it's only as his own people specifically even his own disciples, it's only as they get the kingdom of God that all the other peoples are going to be included into the family of God. It's only as Israel embraces God's Messiah, Jesus, that they will be the light to the nations that they were destined and called to be. So Jesus has to focus. He has to exclude. So he goes to this foreign land to hide away for a bit with his boys, and he's very eager to pour into them. He's very eager to try to cut through all the dullness. Remember the story just before, where they're really not getting him? He wants to somehow drill down and help them understand what he's all about. He's got to prioritize their discipleship. Because if he doesn't, if no one really gets it, then some people got healed, and some people heard some good words, and some people had their lives changed, but really, beyond that, everything else would have fallen to the ground. The kingdom venture could fail. But if he succeeds, if his people get it, if his disciples can somehow understand this is the kingdom of God that he's brought in Christ, if they can get that, 
Well, then the Gentiles, as the prophets foretold, will come in droves. Every tribe and tongue and nation and language will be included, as the prophets foretold. And Jesus knows this. And He's passionately committed to seeing all peoples, all nations, included in His kingdom family. And so, because of all that, Jesus puts her off. First, let the children eat all they want. It's Jesus' way of saying, wait your turn. Now, let's get this straight. He may have just been saying, wait till the end of the day. Wait till I'm done teaching these guys. Wait till I'm, stu- wait, wait till I'm done talking. I don't know. But he was saying, wait. And he does it by using a parable that, let's be honest, could easily offend. First, let children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, we, already, we can hear the insult in there, right? We can hear it. But, but we do have a bit of a cultural gap here because when you and I think of dogs, we think of this. That's who we think of, right? And who doesn't want the dog? Who doesn't want that dog? Can we have a collective awe right now? Awe. How many of you have, 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 have just happened to take home that kind of dog at one point in your life? Yeah? Or a dog like, yeah, you're the cute dog, right? And that's culturally what we think of with dogs. And there's even, in the language Jesus used here, he even uses uh, what's likely uh, the word for pup in, 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 this, in this passage. But, but that's our cultural perception of dogs. They're so adorable and cute and cuddly and we just kind of want to hug them and squeeze them and you've know, you got to take them away from your kids because they'll squeeze them to death, right? But when they heard the word dog, they thought of more something like this, this one here. Yes, that's more what they had in mind, okay? And there's a bit of a cultural gap between the fluffy golden retriever and, and, and that, that dog there. You know, when we, we took our kids, uh, uh, they were quite young at the time, uh, four and six or five and seven, I don't remember exactly. Um, and we took a bunch of students who went to a country in Central Asia. And before we went, okay, this is going to give you a window into our parenting style. Rabies shots are very expensive. So we decided to go without them. And so, uh, and so, we, so we coached our little boys. Look, when we're over there and you see a dog in the street, don't pet the dog, right? Don't, don't go near the dogs. Don't pet the dogs because they're carrying diseases and ugh, awful stuff. And we, we talked to them for quite a while, right? We talked it up. We talked it up. We prepped the boys so that when we go over there, you won't have any temptation to touch the dogs or pet the dogs. And then we went over there and we saw the dogs that lived on the streets. And we realized we didn't have to prep them at all. There was nothing about these dogs that gave a come-hither signal. You understand? There was nothing about these dogs that was adorable or cute. They were awful. They were mangy. They were disgusting to look at. They looked like they were on death's door. No one loved them. No one took care of them. Some of them were semi-dangerous. No temptation there from the boys to touch the dogs. This is the kind of dogs that are going on here. They're not pets. And, and, and let's be honest, sometimes Jews would use that as a racial slur toward Gentiles. They would talk to them, talk about them as dogs, depicting them as unclean and unkempt and sort of outside the category of anything lovable. And of course, Jesus is overturning all that. But here in this parable, he seems to be comparing her priority with children sitting at a table to these unfed dogs that roam the countryside. Well, would you have been offended by that? You stomp off in a huff and say, God, forget it, Jesus, I'll go somewhere else. But of course, there's a problem, right? There isn't anywhere else to go. 
There isn't anyone else that can help. She doesn't stop off. In fact, and here's why I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit why this story is included. In one of the most stunning turns of phrase in the Bible, it's just so remarkable, this Gentile woman, this spiritual outsider, reveals that she's more aware of who Jesus is, she's more in tune with his kingdom mission, she gets his priority more than his own disciples do, she reveals that she understands Jesus more than anyone we've met so far in the Gospel of Mark and perhaps will ever meet in the Gospel of Mark. Look at her incredible response. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. There's just no barrier this woman isn't willing to smash through, you understand. See what she does? She takes this parable of Jesus and she responds in parable form. It's amazing. Yes, Jesus, I know I'm not worthy to eat the table. I'm not asking for a first serving. But Jesus, you know, I know you're good. I know you've got plenty on that table for everyone. And all I'm asking for is a crumb because a crumb from your table is more than enough. That's what she's saying here. How many other people have understood the parables of Jesus so far in the Gospel of Mark? How many? Zero. None of them. Even his own disciples, even the people that have been walking and talking with Jesus for months, when he says a parable to the crowd, what does he have to do when he meets with them separately? He has to explain the parable to them. In the last passage, we talked about it last week, he doesn't even say a parable, but what he says is so difficult to understand through their minds that they think he must be speaking in a parable so that when they get in private with him, they ask him to explain it to them. They're not getting it. And here this woman understands, not just understands the parable, but she responds in parable form. She explains it. She accepts her place in this kingdom mission. She knows her place, and yet she also knows that somewhere in there, she has a place in the grace of Jesus. It's amazing. She's not offended. She's not humiliated. She's also not going anywhere. Right? She's staying there, and she's not giving up. She's humble, and yet she's courageous. She pushes through every barrier, and she throws herself on the grace of Jesus. She's absolutely confident that he's good. And she's absolutely confident that he is the only person who can make a difference in her daughter's life. Well, Jesus is stunned by this. Some translators even say his response is kind of like, what an incredible answer. It's like that kind of response. Like, whoa. For this reply... Jesus said, you may go. If the way she responded to him, her, 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 her courage and her humility and her insight, Jesus says, that's incredible. You can go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and she found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Jesus loves her response, loves her courage. And she received what she came for. She pushed through every barrier in her way and she found a place in the grace of Jesus. If we admire people who push through barriers, then we have got to admire this woman. It's incredible. And the challenge, though, is how do we make this personal? Like, what does this mean for you and I? How do we appropriate this to our lives? How does this change the way we live? Well, I'll cut right to it. We've got barriers that keep us from following Jesus. We've got barriers that keep us from coming to Jesus, keep us from praying, 
that somehow prevent us from receiving all that Jesus has for us. But where we stand historically is different from where this woman was standing. We stand at a time when all those barriers have been broken down and smashed by Jesus himself. All the barriers that we could possibly imagine have already been overcome when Jesus died and rose again. Remember that Ephesians passage that Ruth read for us. Jesus in his death on the cross destroyed the wall, tore it down. That anything that could have stood between us and God, that anything that could have stood between us and other people, the racial barriers are mentioned specifically in that passage. The gender barriers, the economic barriers, the relationship barriers, the sin barrier, all of that has been torn down in Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. In this story, we get kind of a snapshot at a very specific time. A time when all these barriers were being torn down. Where Jesus has come on the scene and his kingdom is overturning everything. But they were still real and we saw, Jesus, we saw her push through and we saw Jesus respond in grace and healing. But you and I today, we live in the day of God's freedom. In the day when every barrier that has ever existed that would prevent you and I from experiencing the full grace and freedom of Jesus has been broken down, has been smashed. So that we can live with freedom, we can live with humble courage, we can live with boldness and we can receive from Jesus all that he has for us. What is that? How does that stir in your heart? I mean, I'd like us to have, I don't know if we can have a discussion about this, but I'd like us to begin thinking about what is it in your life? What barrier is it? Is it it a barrier of fear? You know? What is it in your life that somehow stops you from experiencing what Jesus has for you, what Jesus has for your marriage, what Jesus has for your family, what Jesus has for your whole heart? for your sense of purpose and your calling? What is that barrier in your life that Jesus has already overcome and is inviting you to somehow overcome it, knowing that he's already overcome it? Do you get what I'm saying? To find out that that barrier, which we thought was so solid, is just a mirage. It's just designed to keep you somehow from experiencing the grace and freedom and you and I we'll realize as we step toward it that it's already been dealt with in Jesus. So what are those barriers in your life? What are those barriers that keep you or maybe keep others from coming to Jesus? I don't know what it would be for you. I I don't. You in your own private life, you in your own family life, you you and where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, I, I don't know what that barrier is like for you. And some of those barriers can feel so real, so big, so, um, well, hopeless to overcome. But as we fix our eyes on Jesus and we begin to see that everything has been dealt with in Him, as we begin to push toward Jesus and realize, you know, it's not just that I think Jesus is an option for my spiritual life or Jesus is an option for my marriage or Jesus might be helpful but I begin to realize that he's the only one that can heal me. He's the only one that can give me direction. He's the only hope for my marriage. He's the only hope for my kids. He's the only hope for our church. And we'll begin to push through those barriers and find that in real life, there's nothing standing in the way. Jesus has already dealt with it.
It'd be horrible to find out that we thought what we thought was a barrier wasn't. It'd be horrible to find out that the thing we thought was preventing us from experiencing all that God has for us was really just a mirage. So, what is it for you? As we close today, I want to challenge you um, to make this practical. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, I don't really have any barriers. I feel like I don't have any barriers. And, and that's okay. I'm not asking you to just sort of make one up. But, but perhaps you can be a real encouragement to someone else who's struggling with a, a barrier of some kind. One of the barriers I feel has been continually impressed on me lately is the barrier that prevents you and I from actually getting face-to-face and praying for each other. The barrier that prevents us as a community from becoming community. The barriers, as Brad prayed, that keep us from being the church. Maybe it's a privacy barrier. Maybe it's a busyness barrier. Maybe it's a fear barrier. I don't know what it is. But those barriers have been destroyed in Jesus. And we can't keep them, we can't keep acting as though they exist. And so the challenge Jesus has given us is saying, will you, as as my people, will you follow me into the freedom and the grace that I have for you, that I have for the church? And I think it actually can start in a really practical way for us. So I want to issue you a challenge as we close today. The challenge is that we would pray together. Now, I don't want to, I'm not going to, you know, prescribe how this should happen. But I really believe that we need to be praying together. Groups of two, groups of three, groups of five, I don't care. Make it, make it weekly, I don't, I, I, how you do it, pray together after church, whatever works. But I think we've got we've to go for that barrier. We're called to be a people together. One of the beautiful things about that Ephesians passage is that this wall that Jesus tore down, he made it possible that we can both together, and he's referring to Jew and Gentile there, it's the racial thing in particular, we can both together have access to the Father by one spirit. And there's a real sense in that passage in which it's like, not that we can't have access to Jesus alone, but it's the way the passage is depicted, it's as though I've got to be arm in arm with you as I enter into the, the presence of God. There's, there's, a, there's a sense in which we're called in together. And if we don't do this together, if we don't pray together, if we're not honest with each other, if we're not willing to admit in in a trusted relationship, these are the barriers that prevent me from experiencing God's freedom, then we're never going to experience all that God has for us. So what are the barriers that are preventing you? And who are you going to pray with? Maybe just today, maybe just after this service. Maybe maybe you'll talk to someone during coffee time and say, I want to meet and pray with you this week. When can we meet and pray? But I put the challenge out today that you find someone to pray with. Find someone to pray with and let's begin praying with each other and see what God does to break down the barriers that he's already overcome in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, you broke down every wall. You broke down every barrier in your body. You destroyed sin and death. In your body, you destroyed uh, racial hatred. In your body, you destroyed economic divisions and gender divisions. In your body, you took to the grave all of our shame, all of our guilt. You have made it so that we have this free, full, unlimited access to you and your presence and your grace and your forgiveness. And yet, we confess, Lord, that there are things in our lives 
sin that we're unwilling to give up, uh, perceptions we have of others, uh, ways that we've viewed you as somehow aloof and uninvolved. We have these barriers that they're not real, but they've somehow stopped us. Lord Jesus, we want to be your people who are living the freedom that you bought and paid for. Lord, in particular for us as a community, I pray that we would pray together. That we together, shoulder to shoulder, face to face, would be a people who enter into your presence together. Who are not afraid to share, who are not afraid to pray for each other and for this church and for this valley. Not afraid to admit the barriers that exist and together experience your freedom and your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we just pray that as a church we would do just this. We'd be a people who boldly overcome barriers that you have already overcome. Thank you for your work on our behalf. May we now walk by your Spirit in freedom. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm wondering if, Sylvie, would you come and lead us as we close in, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. And, and uh, Brad Morgan, too, if you are able. We're going to sing this song, Oh Lord, you're beautiful, again. And I'd like it to be an opportunity now for us to just sit. Perhaps, perhaps you don't yet know who you could pray with. I understand that. Perhaps you want to come, and I'll sit over there. You want to come and pray with me. But perhaps there's someone here you already know. I can pray with them. And that you want to initiate that prayer now. Do it. Or perhaps you want to just sit in quiet and take, take all that in and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And maybe he'll bring to your heart and mind a person that you want to pray with today or tomorrow or this week. But let's all ask the question at least. Jesus, what barriers do I need to overcome and who do you want me to pray with? This is our opportunity to do just that. So as we sing this next song, I invite you to pray. And uh, pray together, pray, pray individually, and if you need prayer uh, specifically, uh, I'll pray with you as well, if that's helpful. So let's just do that.